He won Journalist of the Year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's National Review Online's Jim Garrett. How do you like me now? She's a front-page contributor to Red State and a broadcast professional who calls life the way she sees it. Yeah! Crank up the radio! Very interesting! She's Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by Wikipedia's page listing fictional companies. Yes, when Jim needs to open the show with a fake sponsor, Wikipedia's fictional company page is there. It may seem like an utterly unnecessary, time-wasting collection of mostly forgotten pop culture references, but you know you smile when you recognize the reference. Today's special program is also brought to you by Metatextual Self-References, available at your nearest university philosophy department. <laughs> I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White, and welcome to the very special 100th episode of The Jim and Mickey Show. Mickey, congratulations. Thank you, and congratulations to you too, Jim, and congratulations, Dave. Thank Uh, you. you. I really want to thank our audience. Um, They have been so good and stayed with us through the last two years, and as we've kind of grown and developed the show, and we just get bigger every week, so I want to thank them. I'd like to thank the Academy. I'd like to thank my parents for this great honor. Continue, please. Uh, No, if I get a great honor and whatnot, then I'll thank other important people, (laughs) but for this point, I'm just going to say, like, thanks, audience. It's been a lot of fun, and kind of hard to, I mean, you know, I I know there's a lot of podcasts out there. I know a lot of them don't always get to 100. Um, I love that I feel like this is still just the beginning for us, even though we've already hit 100 episodes so that's kind of fun you have 100 bad podcasts in you (laughs) (laughs) so get with the program gang trying to play catch up it'll get a lot better (laughs) first 100 were practice now um so this is look this we we started this as a uh effort to do something that really wasn't that political that looked at kind of the more fun things in life and entertainment and uh um, Mickey, I think a, a good way to start the program is thinking about like what can we do to, to, to mark this, what sums up our show. Mickey, I think it's time for you and I to deliver the state of our pop culture union. I agree. Yeah, this is the, the yeah, this would be a good point to put in like cheers and applause and you know, audio from that. All right, how about this? Because I was thinking about this, Mickey, and I realized, on the one hand, you know, this is where you should say, you know, they always say the state of our nation nation is strong. Well, (laughs) of our culture is strong. They say that regardless. Right? You know, (laughs) the giant flaming meteor has taken out the entire Midwest, but other than that, the state of our nation is strong. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, how how is our popular culture, our movies, our television, our books, our, our, our mass media? Uh, our music, and I feel like it is, on the one hand, it is strong. Now, on the one hand, we are in, living in some of the best of times. Nielsen reports that the average household has 189 channels on its, its cable system. Keep in mind, they watch 17 of them. Right. Um, the, the streaming services of Amazon and Netflix and Hulu, uh, I looked this up, there are more movie screens in America than ever before, more than 40,000 of them. Uh, I looked up the figures for the iTunes store. It has more. It has 575 million active user accounts, 43 million songs, 190,000 TV episodes, 45,000 films. The barriers to bringing your artwork to an audience has never been smaller, and the options for the audience have never been greater. So, Mickey, are we happy? 
I, I have said this to you off the show, and I'm going to say it now to our listeners. I truly believe that we are living in the golden age of pop culture. I think that, you know, everybody has a, you know, there's an age of technology. There's, you know, the Gilded Age. Um, I truly believe that we have reached um, what I think will be looked back upon as the age of pop culture where the culture of the country uh, can be can be divided out by what we watch, what we listen to. Um, and often, I think when you look at both our political situation and our economy so much is based on what we do in pop culture we forget that pop culture means popular culture and popular culture means all of us doing stuff together isn't it amazing how pop culture the phrase evokes a sense of kind of sneering superiority over the the general population even though it's just an abbreviation of the word popular why does it evoke that sense of smug superiority why does it do that um, I think that's one of the reasons is because you've got so many people that are like, I'm all about politics and pop culture. Um, it became kind of a catchphrase of sorts. I think that there's a lot of people, intellectuals, who would say that they look down on pop culture because when they picture it, they're thinking of like Entertainment Tonight. They're thinking about going to, you know, Perez Hilton. Yeah, TMZ, that kind of thing. Yeah, TMZ, things like that. Meanwhile, those are like some of my favorite sites, so you guys can all piss off. Um, but... What's interesting now is that those sites now report the same kind of news that you can find on any other news site, CNN, Fox News, whatever. Uh, So there's kind of a blending. Like I said, that's why I think the pop culture era, if you will, is really kind of at its peak right now. and may continue this way, but it's, it's grown and developed to where culture and politics and economy and all of the things that you you know, live in your life are starting to come through in our entertainment. And I think that we really started this back in the 90s with one of the famous, one of the famous things that we love to talk about on this show and I love to talk about in life, um, obviously the O.J. Simpson trial and cable news. And I believe personally that the, the, the birth of 24-hour cable news and driving that 24-7 news cycle Change the way we look at our lives. Change the way that people report. Change the things that people report upon. Because they have all of this airtime and content to fill. Um, And then going into the O.J. Simpson trial, as you know, I think that that reshaped our entire landscape. Uh, It changed the way we looked at the courtrooms. It changed the way we looked at reality TV. You know, we had court TV. We had the dancing Edos, for God's sake. I forgot about those. Right? Yeah. Like, the, it is a safe, it's safe touchdown. Like that changed the whole, like, what would normally, I mean, we're talking about, about a double homicide that normally would, you know, be a very serious, uh, very solemn, you would think, trial. And it was, it was a damn circus. And yeah. it was so because we were all watching and then everybody invested in it. And it took, you know, it took a year of the, the collective's life. And changed it entirely. And then, of course, you know, everybody had their different opinions on the case and different opinions on the verdict. But it made stars out of the people that were in that courtroom and changed the way that America looks at its news, looks at its culture, looks at its icons, looks at life. Yeah. The line between uh, TMZ and, say, your average network news morning show, the Today Show, Good Morning America, things like that. And say the you know any one of the cable networks morning news shows, kind of blurry. Uh, something like Mariah Carey having her meltdown is is the sort of thing that's going to be lead story or a big deal on all three of them, 
uh, assuming that you know no plane has crashed or, or something right. like that. And you guys think- know, you guys know, I, I I do occasionally you know appear on TMZ for comments and things like that. I would do the same kind of, of commentary that I do on TMZ that I've done for you know my political writing sometimes at Red State because we're covering the same topic. Yeah. Um, and I think that you know we say why would we people look down on the concept of pop culture? Well. The balkanization, you know, it used to be, oh, there was high, high brow, middle brow, and low brow. And now we're balkanized, right? There, there's a million and one different options. And I think that uh, one of the things that we've talked about on this show is that on the one hand, yes, you've got more choices than ever, but it's probably harder to sort through all of them and find the ones that you really love. Uh, to find the ones that make you feel like, oh, that's the, my, my absolute favorite TV show, or, or the, one, you know, the movie where you're like, oh, I've got to tell all my friends to go see it. Um, the, the, the music album, you know, like on the one hand, you've got more access to everything, but finding what really speaks to you is tougher. And I think that's one of the things we do with this show. I don't think it's kind of our, our main focus. Um, I, I also kind of feel like there's like, we're in a strange era in which, uh, as I was thinking about, um, what we see in, in, on, on the movie screens, Mickey, we, on the one hand, if you like comic book movies as I do, superheroes, science fiction, uh, I think if you like raunchy comedies, if you like low budget horror You've never had more choices, right? There are five <laughs> shows about superheroes right, on, on television right now. Um, but I think you think about different kinds of programs that were once ubiquitous. Picture Die Hard or Lethal Weapon, right? An R-rated, high-quality action movie. Yeah, don't see it as much. That's Romantic one of the comedies. things you really don't see very much yeah. is the, the, the kind of well – and I, I, I shouldn't say, well, we don't see it at all. We see it not often because if I look at something when you say – Highbrow action are rated, I think, Taken. All right. And I love Taken. And I'm telling you, like, apparently they're making a show about it now, which makes me livid pissed because why? what does Hollywood do outside of taking a really good idea and then beating it into the ground? If you do one more sequel, I will find you and I will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I have a very specific set of skills. <laughs> I make the same movie over and over again. <laughs> Uh, no, you, you, you've hit on that. I was also thinking about you think about the the, the, the comedians who we grew up with, um, and were kind of the dominant at the Cineplex. I would throw in you know Robin Williams, although some of his films are absolutely awful. Um, Billy Crystal, Steve Martin, Chevy Chase. You think about like I don't know if I want to say. Are you ten are, years older than me? I don't know it. Ah, <laughs> yeah. so I'm thinking, let's say eighties to early nineties, right? Because none of those people, like, other than Robin Williams, like if you said to me. <laughs> Who was a comedian that you watched his movies growing up? I would have said Eddie Murphy. So I just oh, want to leave it at okay. that. All right, throw Eddie Murphy in there. Um, compare that the, this, the style of those guys to the styles of Seth Rogen, Ben Stiller, <laughs> Kevin Hart. This is not a cranky old guy saying the new guys aren't as good. I'm just saying that their style and personas is different. Are, are different. Um, and it's nothing wrong with that. I, I, I do kind of feel like though we are certain we are over. Well, we've moved away genres. from the 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 thing is in comedy specifically. You're looking at people who have like the subtle comedy, the ones that have like the sarcastic, the satire, and then you've got the slapstick comedies and kind of the fall down funny comedies. Will Ferrell, right? I mean, there's a yeah, there's a like, tone to that that you as soon as you say Will Ferrell film, you know exactly what's going to happen. Oh, absolutely. It's be very funny. Yeah. And and generally speaking, I'm going to like it. I will tell you right now. I, I think the best comedian out there making movies right now is Kevin Hart. Um, I have yet to see a movie of his that I have not laughed 
repeatedly throughout. So and he makes four uh, or five of them a year. Good grief. He's the busiest man in Hollywood. Oh, he's the busiest man in Hollywood. He works 24-7. And um, one of his great lines to me is, he talks about it all the time, is, Everybody wants to be famous. Nobody wants to do the work. <laughs> and that man does the work. Um, but I like this is where I would disagree with you, Jim, in the sense that I can't think of a Steve Martin movie that I thought was super funny. And I'm going to say the same about Chevy Chase and Billy Crystal, too. Ooh, okay, let me step back. First of all, have you seen L.A. Story? Steve uh, Martin. Yeah. Oh, that was so wonderful. You didn't like it? Oh, all right. I, actually, when I think about Steve Martin, I think about a movie that he did that I liked. It's My Blue Heaven. Okay. The uh, best I'll line from L.A. Story is when Steve Martin is sitting in the restaurant, the trendy uh, Bel Air restaurant with his friends, and the waiter comes, and he gives in to his inclination to mock and says to the waiter, I'll have a bowl of steam, please. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you scoff at Chevy Chase, and Lord knows he made some bad ones, but I think Fletch and the National Lampoon ser- uh, uh, Vacation Series stand out. Uh, Billy Crystal, uh, I think we can put up uh, when Harry met Sally up against. See, and I, I don't think of that as a comedy. I think uh, when I think of him, I think of City Slickers, which is weird. Okay. Um, but uh, there was again. This is why I ask: Are you considerably older than you're actually letting on? <laughs> I, I remember looking at all of that and thinking it was cool. There was I don't know if, I don't know if it's a, like call I don't know if you'd call Chevy Chase or Billy Crystal or Steve Martin sophisticated. Maybe there's a little sophistication at L.A. Story and kind of the self mockery going on there. Um, but I think that it's just a I don't know if I want to say juvenile. Um, let's just say aiming for a younger demographic. And so I, I guess what I'm saying is that if one of the perhaps one of the recurring themes of this uh, of our podcast has been being in a field of a million options and yet still feeling like you're in a demographic that he'll, that uh, Hollywood is is not all that interested in catering to. And you know what? I've got uh, entertainment dollars to spend just like anybody else. Get to it, Hollywood. <laughs> Absolutely. One of the things that we try to pride ourselves in here is that anyone can listen to us talk about what we do and, and hear the information that we share and not come away feeling like they've been insulted in any way for their political beliefs. Um, and I know that that might sound strange to some, but I suspect that the majority of our listeners will appreciate that and have appreciated that. And we hope to continue that moving forward because one of the most difficult things in this balkanized society is to find a place where you don't feel like you're beliefs are being attacked generally um and also you know it's it's nice to just be able to escape and have fun for a while and we hope to be able to do that for you and to continue to do that for you as we move into this next segment we're going to talk about some of the greatest things that we remember um over the last hundred episodes on this 100th episode of tjam so stay with us we'll be right back for tjam's 100 Tastes like a beer, cause it should, cause it's brewed like a beer, of course it's good. Working out or working late, when you're thirsting for a break, let's be perfectly clear. It's what beer drinkers drink, when they're not drinking beer. Odoo's. Odoo's, the brew from Anheuser-Busch, with the alcohol naturally removed for real beer taste, and only 70 calories. Anytime, anywhere, it's what beer drinkers drink, when they're not drinking beer. Odoo's. Now, back to the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show, the 100th episode of T-Jam. You know, it's been crazy over the last two years. We've had a lot of exciting things happen um, in the world of pop culture and in news and cultural events and current events. And some of the most exciting ones um, we've been able to share with you here on the show. And 
Jim and I were kind of putting together a list of some of our favorites, so we wanted to share those with you. And Jim, what stands out for you necessarily over the last hundred episodes or two years that we've been on the show together? And yeah, you too, I've, Dave. I've been thinking about uh, over the past two years, what has what, what in t- realm of entertainment has entertained me, pleased me, thrilled me the most? And, and I'm going to say you talk about one that was probably most emotionally invested so far. <clears throat> so word comes out that Disney's continuing the Star Wars series, uh, puts it in the hands of J.J. Abrams, and I think I've described this the going to the screening of the uh, the Force Awakens the, the night before the official release. And the mood in the theater not being excitement at all. It was anxiety. It was trepidation. It was deep down everybody knowing that if this sucked, <laughs> it would be the fourth consecutive Star Wars movie that it sucked. That they're, they're, the illusions about the prequels had fallen from people's eyes. And that it would, would it kill Star Wars? No, Disney would keep making the movies. But deep down we'd recognize that it was uh, the life had gone out of it. And whatever you think of the, you know, besides the fact that the Force Awakens made about a bazillion dollars, um, most fans were very pleased with it, and I think it rose to the occasion. Um, so that's my first, probably in the realm of movies. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that was kind of the most significant. Wow, they did it, uh, and a feeling of exhilaration as you leave the theater. So I'm gonna put that one up there, Mickey. Any, any I, I, I think when I think about movies, obviously I have a little different taste than you do about things usually, but I think the movie that surprised me the most over the last couple years um, and since we've been doing the show is Guardians of the Galaxy um, and I say that because it's not normally the type of movie that I would enjoy I'm not really into the superhero movies as much as you are although I watch them they're just not my thing I'm not going to be waiting at the premiere I'm certainly not going to see them twice and not in IMAX either but Guardians of the Galaxy is a little different for me for whatever reason um, and I honestly I'm going to tell you it's probably Groot and the Talking Raccoon <laughs> I because I really group. like talking animals. Like that's like one of my favorite things ever in a movie. Talking plants now, <laughs> right? And and baby Groot. I mean, come on. Um, but I think that that was one of the nicest surprises. And you know, we've talked a little bit about Chris Pratt on the show as well, and he's mm-hmm. been a really nice surprise over the last couple of years. Some of the movie roles that he has done, um, and things that really kind of change the way we think about the type of people that we will go to see at the movies. Like, if you ask people off the top of their head, like, who's a movie star? People think of George Clooney or Brad Pitt, but I can't tell you the last time I spent a dollar going to see one of their movies. Yeah, I tell you. They, they, the Ocean's Eleven series kept <laughs> those guys going as, super, you know, big grossing stars uh, in a way that a lot of their little more personal projects haven't. And, you know, that, that's fine. Stars can do the projects they want to do. Um, but, yeah, you haven't seen Clooney or Pitt in giant super... Uh, you know, top 10 grossing movies of the year in a long time there. So I, I, that's a fine pick, and I think you're right. Pratt demonstrated. You're Pratt, oh, he's that goofy guy from The Office uh, who walked in and could, you know, be the central, and let's face it, lone human figure <laughs> in a movie <laughs> that the audience would relate to and identify and enjoy watching for two hours and beyond. You guys want to know what mine is? My, my yes. cultural yeah. move forward of 2016? This is from a guy who's stuck in the 20th century and is always the last to adopt the new technology. Jim, it's the Bosch series on Amazon Prime that made me mm. fully understand that real high-quality television shows that make me just anxious for the next episode are being produced by people who have absolutely nothing to do with television, not as an employer, not where the paycheck comes from, not as a distributor, not as the the way the audience gets to see it. Television shows are now being made completely apart from 
television itself. And, and that, television stations, which is crazy. It's just it amazing. You don't have to watch TV to watch TV anymore. And, and the shows come from from odd places like What's Next, you know, uh, uh, dish soap mm-hmm. companies making TV shows or <laughs> real estate companies making TV shows. I mean, pretty much anybody can anymore. The equipment has gotten cheaper. The talent mm-hmm. has spread out. More people are doing it privately. Look at YouTube. Look at the explosion of talent making proper TV shows on YouTube. The quality is there. Now you don't have to have a television. You don't have to have any involvement with cable. You don't have to see the networks yakking at you all the time, trying to change your mind about stuff. Just find what you like and enjoy it. And you are completely cut loose from television. More people cutting the cable these days than I've ever heard of before. It's amazing. Oh, absolutely. Um, One of the things, I, I haven't completely cut the cable in my house, but what I have done is cut it down to one room. Um, where I actually have television in one room. I have um, the Google hookup Chromecast Mm -hmm. in another room, and I have Sling TV in a third. So (laughs) you can actually choose from room to room. Uh, But your Sling is cheating. You're using your Sling to access your first room with the TV. Well, yes, but still, (laughs) you know. Um, But but, but the bottom line is I would have never, because I'm like you, Dave, I tend to shy away from most technology when it comes to these type of things. I would have never thought um, a handful of years ago that I would have had that in my house. Um, on that same vein, you know, we've talked about Stranger Things on the show and what a great show it was for 2016. But I would say that the biggest change and the biggest thing that changed for me TV watching was, was when Netflix introduced Making of a Murderer. Um, it was... For me, anyway, you know, obviously I love true crime. Anyone who listens to the show knows that. But I feel like it also opened up an opportunity for those who wanted to do a documentary-style series. Maybe couldn't get picked up by HBO. Maybe couldn't get picked up by ABC to do it on Dateline. It gave them a long format in order to lay out their case, explain it. And obviously, since that has aired, we've now seen actual changes as far as each of the individual people, both Brendan Dassey... And Stephen Avery have gotten people to relook at their cases um, and reopen the cases based on that that show, which, like Dave said, never even aired on real television. Um, both excellent choices there. Uh, I want to say, with, with Dave pointing out, one of the things that Bosch did, which was fascinating, was if you described the concept, he is a driven but world-weary uh, detective in Los Angeles doing homicide cases. You might say, eh, I've seen a lot of shows like that. But somehow it took a – we've seen a lot of police procedurals over the years. And it made it feel different and fresh and really intriguing three-dimensional characters um, that I think, uh, that I think you know, they deserves a great salute. Um, and I don't think they did it by committee either, like television usually tries yeah. to find a way to please everybody. This is a, a show done in good faith with the novels, which themselves were wonderful, and I've read every one of them. And the show fits the novels like like I would never imagine to demand from a mainstream network creating a show like that. You know, they're just swinging a miss every time. That show is fabulous. The exact opposite of watered down. Um, and Mickey, when you mention uh, uh, making of a murderer and documentaries, I think my favorite nonfiction work of the past two years or so, uh, ESPN's OJ Made in America documentary. And you want to talk about something I thought was, ah, it's just, you know, cashing in on the FX series. Uh, no, no, no. This was and perhaps most fascinating because it looked so much beyond OJ. It was very much about the cultural changes, racial, cultural financial, in, in celebrity culture. This was very, you know, the, the reason they titled it OJ Made in America is it was so much about the changes in the country from the 60s to the 90s and beyond. Um, so I really thought that was a, 
uh, terrific work. And then finally, some might say we're in an era that's very cynical. We might say we're in an era that which snark has been triumphant. And I believe one of our past episodes talked about how exhausted you and I were, Mickey, with the concept of snark. Yeah, I the think most- you and I were the first to turn on snark. Might have been go. a while ago, but yeah, I think you and I were some of the first to say that, you know, maybe we don't need to be snide and making snide remarks all the time. So Alex Hirsch, the creator of Gravity Falls, uh, an animated series that ran on Disney XD, recognized him because he was creating a cartoon series for Disney. He couldn't be snarky. Right? There was certain that Seinfeld style, almost nihilistic, nothing is you know, meaningful, nothing is irreverent about. He realized he couldn't do that, obviously, for, for the Disney audience. So he went in the exact opposite direction. And he said, you know what? I'm going to put in as much heart as I possibly can. I'm going to put in as much authentic emotion about family and adolescence and growing up and figuring out your place in the world. And that's one of the things that I think made it much more than, oh, it's a cartoon series and it's Twin Peaks for kids. Um, pouring a lot of heart into what is a deeply personal story about growing up and you know, that awkward stage from 12 to 13 um, ranks among my favorites of the past two years. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you've introduced us to a lot of really good shows. Um, I I would say that one of the shows that is recent that came out, This Is Us, we talked a little bit about last year. Uh, This Is Us is a great show, very sincere, very grounded. um, and, 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 And again, a very simple show, a dramatic show, not about cops, not about robbers, not about a law firm. This is about a family. Um, and a really good one. And I think that that's an interesting turn, too. A little, again, you talk about being more sincere, being more genuine and authentic and trying to reach beyond the tropes. And I think that there are a couple shows out there that are doing that, and that is one of them. And the fact they're Steelers fans just makes it better. If you do it, <laughs> that, was, that was a cherry on top. <laughs> if you do it wrong, it can come across as saccharine and corny. But if you, uh, if you nail it, it turns into something where you feel like a real emotional connection with the characters. And I think we'd encourage the, the Hollywood creative class to not be afraid to uh, go into that. We can be heartfelt. We can be saccharine. We can be uh, corny. We're going to look back at our favorite and best memories of the show of the past two years right after this. It's Spaceman. The moon and sun and all the stars are great big Tootsie Roll Pops. I'm a princess. Yes, my lord, it's a party tonight. We'll have Tootsie Roll Pops. All the kids in the neighborhood say Tootsie Roll Pops are triple good. Triple good. And do you know why? Sure. Because one, there's good-tasting hard candy outside. And two, there's a delicious center of Tootsie Roll inside. And three, only Tootsie Roll Pops are said fun to eat. That's why they're triple good. And don't forget, Tootsie Roll Pops come in a party pack, too. Ten pops and assorted flavors. There's a game on the back that's lots of fun to do. All of the kids in the neighborhood say Tootsie Roll Pops are triple good. Triple good. You'll love Tootsie Roll Pops. My baloney has a first name. It's O-S-C-A-R. My baloney has a second name. It's M-A-Y-E-R. Oh, I love to eat it every day. And if you ask me why, I'll say, cause Oscar Mayer has a way with B-O-L-O-G-N-A. Oscar Mayer, the first name in Bologna. How's that? Sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. Almond Joy's got nuts, mounds don't. 
Accidentally invented a thermochemical energy source. A scientific wonder becomes a nightmare. With enough explosive to turn the city into a pancake. A power that could mark the beginning of the end for the six million dollar man. You jack wagon! Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White, and we're celebrating our 100th episode. What can I say? Fabulous. Oh, this is great. Woo! We thought it'd be a good time to look back and look at the segments and ideas and uh, concepts and discussions we've had that turned out really well. Uh, Mickey, I, I've got a list in my hand, but I, can, I don't want to bias you in favor of my selections. What, what stands out to you when you look back on 99 previous episodes when i think of our 99 previous episodes there are a couple things that stand out um one in particular that stands out to me will always be our santa nazi episode <laughs> yes <laughs> i i, I, I there, there's just no way to get around the fact that you just you basically describe santa as the fascist nazi that he is you ruined a perfectly and- good christmas show for kids for the next three generations we should you open a whole really- new discussion in life about what was really wrong with that doll, too. <laughs> yeah, this is not. But this is not. Santa in general is a Nazi. Uh, we should know this was in the Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer Christmas <laughs> special that airs every year, and we actually have on DVD. All, you know, a lot of people have said there's something seems a little off about that. The fact that the undesirables are shipped off to the island of misfit toys just felt a little bit too much like toy eugenics to me. Concentration camps. Santa Hitler. Definitely another highlight for me um, was having the Cavoians on the show. Uh, Being able to actually share the air with Bob Cavoian of Bob and Tom. That meant a lot to me as an old radio guy. I listened to Bob and Tom and drew a lot of inspiration from those guys. That was very cool. Same here. And never had the privilege of working with him in my radio years, work with some of his competitors. Um, But it was just great to actually be able to share the air with Bob and Becky, and it meant a lot to me. So I want to thank them, and I I hope that our listeners enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, I was going to say, long-time listeners know this is not a guest-based show. Not that we don't like guests, not that we're egomaniacs. We just didn't um, uh, didn't want to build the show around that. And so we had some really terrific guests, uh, Guy Benson and Mary Catherine Hamm. Just FYI, uh, you can have Mary Catherine back anytime you want. I'm just kind of goo-goo-eyed over her. Thank you very much. <laughs> like it very much. Uh, Jazz Shaw discussing horseradish. Um, looking back, I'm trying to think. You know, now I'm going to wish I'd remember some more. Uh, Um, Doing came on and talked to us about alcohol and the different types of drinks um, that we could try and make one of our first Christmas specials. It's 10 a.m. somewhere. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) And that was something that we really enjoyed as well. Uh, We had Ed Morrissey on here talking about some of the things that he does um, with his traveling, with marriage counseling and and of course, jazz. I mean, you mentioned him, but if we don't give him a shout out, I guarantee you there'll be trouble. Jazz Shaw came on and not only did he come on and talk to us about how he makes his horseradish he added me to the very special horseradish list so i now get horseradish every christmas from him as well so props to me indeed uh my friend and, and co-author cam edwards discussing uh uh heavy lifting um i believe it was amelia hamilton way back in one of our early shows discussing the the modern dating scene um we, we, we i guess you could say we kind of carefully craft all of our uh guest selections for the show we 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 bring them on when it's special we want to thank all of them for participating 
interesting. Um, now, Mickey, you had asked our listeners for the segments that they remembered and thought were terrific. And I realized that perhaps, perhaps the single most embarrassing segment for me apparently ranks as a uh, favorite of our listeners. The time in Portland, Oregon, mm. where the hotels do not disturb do sign. Not disturb. Not the way it's supposed to. <laughs> Epic Garrity family moment. I'll and never forget it. I found myself in Mrs. Campaign's spot. Um, Busy at that moment. Getting uh, busy with it. Horizontally busy, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Still a great story. Because for our listeners, you can go back and catch the entire story. But Jim was li- was staying in a very high-tech hotel where they didn't have those simple little signs that you put on the door that say, do not disturb. He had to code it into the door, and he didn't do that. And, and so he didn't. just came right on in. The maid walked in. Uh, and then she applauded. I mean, it's not like we were doing that. <laughs> speaking of speaking of uncomfortable moments, I also think we uh, we think, thinking back to our, our great segments. I was very proud of our our discussion of perhaps one of the most infamous movies in recent memory, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, because everybody else talking about it was denouncing what was depicted within it. Uh, Mickey, I think you and I, you know, very, amongst very few, looked at it as a movie. And pointed out that regardless of whatever you think of the sexual practices depicted therein, it was a terrible, terrible movie with awful yes. practices. Like, like people, like it kind of got off the hook for that, right? That everybody was so offended by it that everybody ignored the fact that it was astonishingly shitty filmmaking. <laughs> and, and I want to bring this to point as well. It was so terrible, in fact, that it was like the number one ranking R-rated film for another year, I think, until Deadpool came out. There you go. There it was you. so bad that it was record-settingly good. Timely, guys. The promos are coming out now. The sequel is on its way. I'm already all over this. I actually talked to Jim about us going and seeing a screening together <laughs> so we could just mock the people in the audience. We'll just videotape you two sitting there squirming and being uncomfortable. Exactly. <laughs> What's the thing about how like, every like I've I have not seen him in another movie. I saw uh, the 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 lead actress in another, and she was perfectly fine. She oh, was. She's there's wonderful. Something about this movie that makes everybody stink. Well, it's because there's no chemistry. That's let's start there. Didn't they cast their way like through three or four leading men and get down to the last one who would take it? I mean, wasn't it a role nobody wanted? Yes, and the, and because they wanted them assigned to sign a three movie deal right. before they'd even cut the first one. Uh, now, having said that, you brought up the other movie that uh, Johnson has been in. Dakota Johnson has been in, and it is How to Be Single. And I saw that on cable the other night, and she was wonderful. I would have to agree with I you. I enjoyed that movie I immensely. I it as well, and I thought it was really good. I felt like it was one of those movies that suffered from the title. Yeah. Um, and, and from perception of what was in it. What I would tell you, Dave, is if you have seen it, then I have to ask, did you feel like at moments that some of the scenes were cut in just to make it a little more, like, marketable? I do. Yeah, I do. The the coming of age thing, the single young woman trying to figure out how to live and, and how to yeah. relate to other people and mastering sexuality. And it was just a marvelous depiction from her. She was strong but vulnerable. She really was top quality actress. Mm-hmm. So it does make me question, maybe it's just the Fifty Shades. <laughs> maybe it's just the movie. It's the movie, Jim. The movie sucks. Johnson start acting like it's a hostage film every time. Uh... <laughs> A hostage tape every time she's uh, on stage with this, this guy. And, Did you and, say and tape? When it's coming out, um, it's, she's going to be dealing with a stalker, 
So I'm kind of looking forward to that as well. Well, at least at least then she'll have good reason to like like reason in the script to act like she's dealing with a stalker instead of uh, <laughs> instead of something like that. Now we probably should uh, mention and foreshadow that in the course of this two years in this program, Mickey, we've had a couple of designated villains, and I was trying to figure out who has been the bigger pinata of the Jim and Mickey show. Was it NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell? You know, and this people can cue the booze here. Mm-hmm. Or was it actress slash lifestyle advice guru <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow? <laughs> it's oh, Paltrow. I don't know. Definitely they, they, they be king and queen of our craptastic prom. Definitely be Paltrow. I, yeah, see, I, Paltrow gets a lot of heat on this show, but as far as my actual feelings toward them, Goodell is much worse. Um, <laughs> having said that, you have to, you know, shout out to all of our TJM fam who know that Gwyneth Paltrow is probably one of our favorite people to make fun of because she makes it so damn easy. Goop. Uh, oh, Goop. Goop is just a gift that keeps on giving <laughs> for those of us who want to talk about her and have some content and, and have some fun with it. And, and you guys, I, I have to bring this up. It's new information, but... She just this week is introducing vagina eggs, <laughs> and their vagina eggs, they are made of jade, <laughs> and she wants you to go ahead and shove them on up in there. That's right, for only $5,000. Uh, <laughs> right, right. But here's the thing. Just like her $15,000 vibrator, <laughs> that she's, she's obsessed with the vagina, from the steaming of it to putting eggs in it. Uh, apparently, OBGYNs across Europe are speaking out like, don't do that. Don't That's use my not product. Good. So go ahead and put that out there. Yet another thing that Gwyneth has failed epically on, right up there with her food stamp challenge. Mm-hmm. Oof. I'm, and, and her goop Christmas list. Goop the land of the $7,000 brush nickel spatula. <laughs> Vagina eggs over easy. <laughs> hard vagina yeah. eggs. Like some hard boiled. Paul Pro is so ridiculous that it kind of gives us joy. Whereas Roger Goodell just kind of, you know, smugly uh, uh, mucks around with things and, and seems to ruin the best thing in life, which arbitrary is- and things like that. So. Yes, whereas Gwyneth just brings me nothing but pure joy because she can't really harm my life. Mm. I can only watch her from a distance of her conscious uncoupling and all of the wonderful things that she brings to the table. In this day and age, Gwyneth is a perfect representative of the life in the bubble of Hollywood and the West Coast where they have no idea how real people live, but they claim to want to lead them in that life. Yes, you, she wants yes. to lead us. She wants us to make sure that our the JJs <laughs> are, are all steamed up, waxed, which I'm cool with but she wants them all steamed which i'm not sure how that works and now this the, the egg thing i've got to tell you when i saw it i was first my first thought was like was she playing with one of her children's toys <laughs> could be and just i, I i've got nowhere to go after that but i wanted to we, this segment would not be complete without i think probably one of the most heartfelt segments we've had in the history of this show uh and it really kind of turned it also into a recurring serial segment uh mickey your adventures adopt your dog Shiloh um, and kind of showcasing the seemingly unreasonable problems and difficulties in adopting a dog and, and things like that. Uh, Shiloh, for a, while, for a while, I thought it was going to be, you know, either, if not either the Jim, Mickey, and Shiloh show, <laughs> maybe simply the Shiloh and Mickey show. Uh, Shiloh and I have our own show going on. I don't even know what you're talking about. You can catch us on YouTube. No, I'm just making that. I think you should have named Shiloh Sasquatch. Oh, he's big. Yes. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen, I should probably put some pictures up yes. on our page, uh, Facebook page, Facebook forward slash Jim and Mickey show, because he is now the size of a pony. Um, and Mr. <laughs> Bias likes to point out that I got a two for one. 
because not only did I get my puppy that I had wanted, but I also got the pony that I've always <laughs> been asking for. And the adventures in finding Shiloh um, and bringing him into our family was, you know, obviously one that took almost a year. And then when we got him home, I was so excited and whatever. It didn't occur to me that he would continue to grow to the point where he is now where, if those of you who don't know, he's a little over 70 pounds. Wow. For perspective, he just ate that 14-foot alligator in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just tell you that alligator is not an alligator? That thing looks like a dinosaur. Yeah, another sequel coming, eh? Save that amber. They're always talking about taking stuff out of the amber, and I don't understand why. Did they not see the show? <laughs> don't mess with DNA. Let it die. <laughs> Continuing on with our best and worst, we're going to go into the next segment with some of the other things that we've talked about over the last two years and 100 episodes that you have stayed with us for, um, both not just in the movies and television, but throughout the pop culture industry in general. Looking forward to it on the other side. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Verity. Stay with us. I could have used a little more cowbell. The electric fence. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Is there a world where you stop acting and just focus on these businesses or can you keep on expanding your Gwyneth Paltrow empire? Um, you know, in my DNA, I'm an actor and it's kind of what I'm born to do. But I am also, in a, I, I do believe that women can have very different chapters in their lives. And in this chapter, I'm very interested in the entrepreneurial side of me and, um, and it's, and I'm raising my kids and, um, and I, I do try to but act when I can. <laughs> Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White, and it is episode number 100. And I was thinking about uh, Mickey. Uh, look, people know my day job is with National Review. Uh, you right now for Red State have passed, written in the past for places like Ricochet. We're indisputably right of center people. Uh, and every once in a while, I'll get people who listen to this podcast and say something like, well, Jim, when are you going to talk about politics? And we try to gently say, well, it's not really what the show is about. And I'm sure there have been segments. You talked about Weedekit, and we talked about legalization of marijuana. Mm -hmm. um, there, there occasionally we'll kind of dabble in it, but that's not really what the show is about. And as much as I think you and I would agree with the general argument on the right of those, those darn liberals in Hollywood, we, we, we have those sentiments. Um, I think if we beat the drum on that every week, the show would get boring and predictable. I don't know about you, Mickey. I feel like when I, when I have a beef with a, a, a TV show, a movie, something rubs me the wrong way. Sometimes it's political. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just a sense of the creators um, not really understanding the world they're trying to depict. That and can I'm be sure more of a problem, and it's a lot of times assumed to be political when, in fact, it's much more cultural and classist. Yeah. Again, I'm sure every cop looks at every cop show and rolls their eyes. I am sure every you know lawyer, legally lawyers and legal dramas, doctors and, and medical shows. Yes, I, I get that. Um, Aaron Sorkin's The Newsroom. Besides the fact that yes, Aaron Sorkin is a very liberal, his depiction of how journalism works was just like you know it, it basically consisted of old friends calling you up with giant scoops every five minutes. And that's just not the way it works. And I realize you mm -hmm. have to change things for the, the sake of narrative and drama and things like that. But I kind of felt like it was, it was doing a disservice to the world it was attempting to depict by changing uh, the dynamics that much. And so I kind of feel like when I, when I gripe about Hollywood, yeah, you know, some of the complaint is, you know, politics. But some of it's that like, 
like office space, for example, one of the great classics of the late 90s. Clearly, you know, Mike Judge worked in an office for a long time. (laughs) There is no question. Everyone's had those people in their lives. There is no question about that. Um, I think that that's one of the things that, you know, we talked about the show, The Office. That was written, obviously, for British television by Ricky Gervais, who worked in an office. And I think that's a key part of when people are trying to describe things or depict things that we see every day. And when you have three different um, primetime shows a week talking about a specific hospital, one in Chicago, one in Boston, one in New York, I can only imagine what doctors must think and nurses must think when watching it because the same is true, of course, of all the crime dramas and the procedurals. And those are the kind of things that I generally like. But I imagine most cops watch them and are like, yeah, no. We don't get to bring a crime writer along with us on all of our things, and he rarely solves the case. <laughs> yes, you know, there are certain shows you, you grant them that from the concept, but uh, yeah, and again, also a look. I think uh, uh, we may make we may make fun of Los Angeles. Uh, um, I grew up up in New Jersey, so I have a certain affinity to New York. But I think um, th- there was a time where it was very easy to mock, and it was fair to mock the networks for having a bazillion and one sitcoms about young people in New York. Right. And kind of this sense of like having the a friends, certain focus. The friends yeah. phenomenon. The bazillion and one friends clones. And some of them were funny. Some of them were not so funny. But um, you just don't see a lot of you know, things taking place in Cleveland or Omaha or something like that. And kind of having this sense of, you know, there is a broader palette uh, and a broader range of stories to be told there. Um, so I, I kind of feel like, you know, as much as uh, uh, people gripe, I guess there are times Hollywood, it's besides the politics, it's a bit of cultural insularism. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, One of the things I like that we're able to do with this show, being honest with you and, the, and our listeners, is that we're able to introduce people to whether it be television shows, movies, music, books, um, events that are taking place, uh, ideas and movements that they may not have exposure to outside of this because they're not the type of people who necessarily tune into all of this every day. Mm-hmm. And I like being able to introduce people to all the good things that are out there. Um, I know. I think it's more. You know, on the one hand, you can say like a lot of reviewers or, or shows that uh, discuss these sorts of topics. You can say, "Ah, it was it rocked or it sucked." You know, it's like. But you get into okay. Well, why does it rock? Why does it suck? What were they trying to do there? there was, I just watched a fascinating uh, YouTube video about the editing on Suicide Squad, which a lot of people said. Well, you know, some people love, some people hated. A lot of people mm-hmm. kind of groaned at it. But they talked about how visually the editing didn't like it broke all the rules in the the cinematography book uh, including like you know color contrast and and the way the camera moves and where your eye goes on the screen and all kinds of stuff and it just flat out failed <laughs> and i kind of think that's more interesting than yeah i just didn't like it you know which i think is something you and i um we've tried to do on this show we try to analyze we try to dissect and take it apart and maybe people agree with it maybe they don't um but i feel like that's part of being a more Sophisticated is the right word. Um, Yes, our audience is extremely sophisticated. That's what you want to say. You want to say nice things about the audience. Always suck up to the audience. (laughs) Many times I have had good friends, including maybe Mickey, say stop overanalyzing things. But, you know, I think if you you like storytelling, it's kind of fun to look at why – why is this character beloved? Why is this story plot twist surprising and really grab the audience and things like that? Um, I I, pay attention to the Kardashians. Why are they important? I am here to tell you that. I am here to make you understand the value of a Kardashian. There you go. And again, yeah, I think actually if you've had any mission on this show, it, it's been trying to get me to like the Kardashians. No, uh, it's been to <laughs> I'm try to argue. I'm working on it. 
Well, again, there is a – you talk about – you know, John Edwards used to talk about the two Americas, right? There is an America that is really interested in the Kardashians. And there is an America that is repulsed by the Kardashians or, or, um, or maybe to, to describe my situation more befuddled by why someone would be fascinated by this. And this is, you know, if the show is not quite to bridge the gap, um, to at least kind of establish that. And if we're talking about a sense of being, you know, intensely divided, look, we're not just, you know, politically divided. We're very culturally divided. And it might be nice if people could kind of see, understand the thinking of the other side. You don't have to agree with the other side or something like that. I remember um, our yeah, friend. I kind of feel like you represent um, a certain part of our culture in that you have that sci-fi nerd background. That's, that's yeah, you know that's that's your thing, and I think Dave obviously brings us age and wisdom all the time. You kids get off <laughs> my lawn, and sometimes you know brings the paddle too. <laughs> Cultural pedigree, exactly. And then there's me, Uh-oh. and I, you know, of course, I was born and baptized in pop culture, in media, in radio, and television. So I represent an entirely different angle of um, the way that I see society. So, you know, I. I Maybe, I hope, that we bring something to our audience that they're not necessarily getting anywhere else because I don't know that you're going to find uh, three people that have such diverging views on things yet agree on most things. <laughs> no, that's probably a good way of putting this. and I think there's a, uh, uh, a good reason for, for the dynamic there because when, when we all sit around and say, all right, what do you want to talk about this week? Chance, the chance, Once in a while, you and I will agree on something like the Super Bowl or something, something big and glaring, but... Um, you will watch reality TV show. I will say we need to dissect the latest uh, uh, Marvel trailer. Um, and that, I think, is one of the things that we do well. Hopefully, the listeners like it. It seems like they do. They are noble and sophisticated and wonderful in all ways. And that's why you're going to keep it right here, because we'll be right back after this. See, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns and those who dig. Taking Mr. Herman. Mr. Herman, you have a telephone call at the front desk. (laughs) Hey, here's a great place to visit if you must do some driving. Your independent Texaco retailer. Ask how he can help you get better mileage with quality Texaco products and by practicing good maintenance. He also has fine Texaco gasolines, including lead-free Texaco, all with protective and detergent additives. So let your independent Texaco retailer help you get the most out of every gallon of gasoline you use. At Texaco, we're working to keep your trust. Hi, I'm Mike Wallace with a sensational shortening discovery for better baking and frying. It's Procter & Gamble's Golden Fluffo. Let's hear what Mrs. Thelma Styra, Indiana State Fair baking champion, had to say about Fluffo. I love Fluffo. It makes such a golden brown pie. Oh, man, that's some apple pie. Get Golden Fluffo. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show, and thank you for joining us for what has been our 100th episode. This is the part of the show where we usually talk about our Trivial Tuesday contest. If you are on Twitter, look up Mickey, at Bias Girl, um, and she, every Tuesday she comes up with some question for our listeners. This is our, is our most interactive part of the program. Uh, Mickey, I have detected a trend in recent, in recent Trivial Tuesday uh, questions and responses. I think there's a lot of people who want to talk about music and who have strong opinions about music. Those, you know, the questions of best Christmas carol, worst Christmas carol, all that kind of stuff gets enormous responses I've noticed in recent weeks. 
Oh, absolutely. I think that one of the things as we as we expand forward, as you said now, you know, Trivial Tuesday is probably the most interactive thing that we do right now with our listeners on a weekly basis. However, as you know, we also live tweet um, the show usually on Fridays when it comes out. And that's a great opportunity for us to interact with the listeners as they're listening. And then they talk back to us through Twitter and Facebook, um, sometimes messaging us even through SoundCloud or iTunes where they can find us as well. And I appreciate that. But as we move forward, Jim, um, some news for our listeners and, and moving forward for everyone, you know, we want to be more interactive with you. We want to include you more in the show. And I, I think that we do need to, you and I need to step up our music discussion because that is yet something else that we don't agree on like at all. Um, and unfortunately, over the last year, it seems like most of our music discussions have ended with and they died. <laughs> Oh, painful reality. One, I'm going to throw this out as a uh, potential uh, topic for future ones. I remember at some point, I think it was an offline discussion, you and I talking about like people's least favorite songs of all time. And I remember, or I think it was, you might be the Onion AV Club, like ask people, what is your least favorite song? And they put the argument, uh, I remember somebody responded, Lords uh, Royals, despite the fact this thing was played everywhere and it was it won a bunch of awards and stuff. The opening line is, I've never seen a diamond in the flesh, mm-hmm. which everybody's like, bull. Yes. You've seen, you've seen a diamond, right? You, know, you may not have owned a diamond. You may not have, you know, but you've seen someone wearing a diamond, either in a ring, an earring, a necklace, somewhere at some point. Don't tell me you've never seen any diamond at all. Um, and if, you know, any lyric that is that transparently bull <laughs> cannot be a good song. Although I think I'd argue the worst song of all time, I would probably put um, Built This City by Starship. Ooh, excellent decision. I hate that song also. I would like to stand up for Royals, um, not because it's a great song, but because it has a great line. Um, I really like the line where it says, you can call me Queen Bee. I know you're shocked by this. Um, but I, every time it comes on, I'm still singing along. I think I there are two worst Bee. songs ever from the 1970s that have to be mentioned here by the old cranky guy. One is Terry Jack's Seasons in the Sun, oh. a song sung by a guy who's dying and wants to share it with everybody on the radio. And the other one is Paper Lace, The Night Chicago Died. <gasps> Those two oh, things are epic are examples of Dave. 70s bad music that lives on forever on Sirius XM. <laughs> well, you know, since we're talking, I, I want to talk about something that lives on forever and it's current and it's a song that the first time I heard it, I was just kind of like, oh, that's a cool song. And then it became like the earworm song of the last year and a half, which is, of course, Cake by the Ocean. I, 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 if I hear Cake by the Ocean... I then am going to be singing it for the next week and a half. It doesn't I matter. I think that is, just, that is just torture for anybody on Atkins. <laughs> <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> you know, because everybody else is hearing awesome party, and I'm just hearing carbs. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to have a discussion offline about what he's talking about when he says cake. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I just got the warning from Dave We are already coming to the end of our 100th episode Because this is the fastest hour of our week I want to thank Dave Perkins, um, our wonderful producer Who has just made all of this so possible for us Because Jim and I can show up and talk about a lot of different things And let's face it, you know, we often need to be nudged and poked and prodded To make sure that we shut up when we're supposed to <laughs> But Dave is the one who makes us sound good He's the one who makes this a show And 
Jim and I would be nothing without him, so we want to thank him. It's um, a I great pleasure you. to work with you guys, and uh, it's sad that among the three of us, I turn out to be the technical one. That just doesn't <laughs> bode well for the future. <laughs> well, and, and moving forward, you know, we're going to be trying some new um, equipment and some new technology, mm-hmm. so something for our listeners uh, to keep an eye out for. You can always find us on soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. Shout out to the 405 radio uh, who has always been there with us from the very beginning. And you can still find us on the 405 radio. You can find us on their iTunes account. You can find us on Altcon Radio. And you can find us on their iTunes account at Spreaker.com. Or I'm sorry, at their Spreaker account at Spreaker.com. Um, and you can always find us at Facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. Follow us up on Twitter at Jim and Mickey Look out for Jim and I as we move through social media, whether it be Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or wherever you happen to be, even Snapchat, I'm on there now um, because, you know, I'm 12 years old inside. You can find me there as well. But we are looking to move to where we're being more interactive and uh, upgrading some of our equipment in this year. So there's a lot of exciting things coming down the pike. And while, yes, we have hit our 100th episode, I do feel like we are just getting warmed up and we want to thank all of you for being a part of it. I'm Mickey White, he's Jim Garrity, and you've been listening to the one, the only, 100th episode of The Jim and Mickey Show. See you next week. Goodbye to you, my trusted friend. We've known each other since we were nine or ten. Together we've climbed hills and trees. Learned of love and ABC Skinned our hearts and skinned our knees Goodbye my friend, it's hard to die When all the birds are singing in the sky Now that the spring is in the air Pretty girls are everywhere Think of me and I'll be there We had joy, we had fun, we had seasons Seasons out of time Goodbye Papa, please pray for me I was a black sheep of the family You tried to teach me right from wrong Too much wine and too much song Wonder how I got along Goodbye Papa, it's hard to die Birds are singing in the sky Now that the spring is in the air Little children everywhere When you see them I'll be there We had joy, we had fun We had seasons in the sun But the wine and the song Like the seasons have all gone Flowers.
Starfish on the beach 